first, let's actually like introduce ourselves, just in case you didn't. Yeah, know, like, we you were we immediately to. just were like, <laughs> so. Previously on, this is Renee. Uh, and this is Mindy, and uh, welcome back to uh, this is our third third episode <laughs> where we are trying to get into the groove. We, the, the last episode might have ended a bit abruptly. Yeah, we didn't realize how long it was taking. And um, we we actually know that this is going to be a, just a two-parter. Mm-hmm. And we think we figured out when we actually want to do our snack. Yeah, at the very end. I think ending on a sweet note is a very good structure. It took us three episodes, okay? Well, we got there. Listen. You're growing. We said it in the first episode. You're, you're going to gro- grow with us. We're growing. We're learning. We're, mm-hmm. be- we're becoming better people. We are development is happening yeah and you're witnessing it you're witnessing it in real time time. (laughs) write it in the history books guys growth so um yeah so that being said this is cookies and crime if you didn't know what what podcast you clicked on um and we will be enjoying the cookies at the end also we're gonna use cookies as a very general term for snacks Yo, yeah. Yo, yo, yeah. Yo, so, yeah. Like, the British people use pudding as the general term for dessert, any kind of dessert. Cookies is our snack. Anything. It could be anything. It could be anything. All bets are off. So if you're going to try to guess what our snack is today, good luck. Because that means it could be sweet. And savory, sometimes I get lazy and I might just be like, this is what I found in the fridge. But lazy snacks are still good snacks. But, you know, maybe it's something that you could get at your own local store and try as well we want to know what your rating is as well we're gonna give you ideas yeah it'll be great all right so let's dive back into the story then mindy are you ready for this i'm so ready so let's take you back again to july 7th 1908 now i will backtrack just a little bit to the 6th because if you recall two significant three significant things happened first hazel's trunk arrives at the drew house for days. For days. Sitting there. It arrives there first on the 6th. On the 6th, she is then seen at the train station with a man who was controlling, who seemed to make her a little bit uncomfortable, blah, blah, blah. That's not suspicious That's at all. That's not suspicious at all. Third thing that happened on July 6th, very important. Mrs. Clifford, who lived in an area called the Alps in Troy, Ohio. Uh, Troy, Ohio. My gosh. Troy, New York. I promise I'm not as tired as I was last time, guys. I'm not. I'm going to be a lot more awake for this. Mrs. Clifford, who lives near the Alps, said she woke up on this day, well, night, and heard a woman screaming. She reached over, woke up Mr. Clifford, and said the words, you better get up or someone's going to kill that girl. Mr. Clifford did nothing because he's, like, tired and was like, I don't hear anything, woman, and rolled over and went back to bed. That's how very heroic of him. That happened, okay. That happened on the 6th. Right. July 7th at 7.15 p.m. Yeah, we're going in the evening. Just forget everything that happened during the day. I don't even know what happened during the day. But at 7.15, this is all based on witness testimony. Coming down to Borton Road. Now, to Borton goes up in through a woodsy area, and it goes around. It's like up a hill and then around, and there are a couple of ponds. And then if you keep going, you get up to the Alps. So just so you know, like I'm doing stuff with my hands that you can't see. She is. I'm, I'm trying to yeah. follow. <laughs> to Borton Road, up a hill. Up a hill. Just picture that. Yep. Pointing up, up. Pointing up north, up that way. There's a pond. There's woods, okay? So, 
coming down that road. Henry Rollman and his wife, they're riding along in their little carriage because it's 1908. And they pass Hazel, who is walking on foot, and she's stopped on the side of the road picking raspberries. Or she looks like she's picking raspberries. Okay. okay. Now, interesting place to pick raspberries, but in, you know. Indeed, it is. And they, they wave. They're like, hey, Hazel. It's not said if they, like, spoke actual words to her or if they waved at her in passing. But Mrs. Rollman turns to her husband and she's like, it's, she's just so pretty. That's something I forgot to mention in the last episode, by the way. She was notably beautiful. Like. She's a 10. Yeah, she's a 10. Chick is a babe. And everyone knew it. And that was probably the most notable thing about her was Hazel's a pretty girl. That's it. Which, sadly, can be very dangerous to women. I think that's what causes a lot of her problems. It's very, very sad. Yeah, it is. So, Mrs. Rollman, oh, she's such a pretty girl. Mr. Rollman, however, (laughs) I don't know why this comment reminded me of my dad so much. He goes, she's pretty stupid, though. For being, for being alone out here in this I mean, area. he's got a point. She and she, she's on the side of the road picking raspberries. Like, what by, is she doing? By herself at 7.15 What is she doing? Yeah, no. the sun has probably set. Or at least it's starting to dim a little bit. So Hazel. So it is summertime. Cub wood. It, come on. What are you doing? Yeah, so she's, I mean, props to him for not jumping on the whole objectifying her. Sure. Just being a pretty thing on the side of the road. He immediately jumps into dad, in my opinion, dad mode. Where he's just like, what a stupid kid. What's she doing out there? All by herself. Dingus. You dingus. Why are you picking raspberries all by yourself? So anyway, Mrs. Rollman kind of like as they pass, she like takes this comment. She thinks about it. She glances back and Hazel looks like she's having a good time. So she's like unworried, unworried. She's not worried. Mrs. Rollman's like, yeah, well, she seems like she's enjoying those raspberries. Remember that. She looks like she's enjoying those raspberries. So Mrs. Roman's assuming she's, like, eating them, right? Okay. That's something to know when I go into her autopsy in a second. Again, around 7.15. This is within minutes of each other. Um, the Romans pass the Rye Millers. Quite fat country names, in my opinion. Rye Millers. Mr. and Mrs. Rye Miller. They're coming up the road in the opposite direction. So they're passing the Romans. And the Rye Millers did not say that they saw Hazel. Oh, weird. Minutes after the Romans did. She, she's on foot. She should have been there unless she jumped into the trees, right? Yeah. Weird. So anyway, yeah. So the, the Rhinolos are like, we actually didn't see anybody on the road hmm. at all, except the Romans, because we waved at them. Okay, cool. 7.30. Okay, 15 minutes later. 17-year-old Frank Smith and 30-something-year-old Rudolph Gundrum. Rudolph was giving, well, they called him Rudy. Rudy was giving Frank a ride into town. Okay. Okay. Um, They see Hazel by the hollow, which is just a little short distance from the raspberry patch where the Romans saw her. So she didn't get super far in 15 minutes. Probably, I mean, she was dilly-dallying, clearly. Maybe, yeah. maybe waiting for someone. Maybe she really was wrapped up in those dang raspberries, hid in the trees while the rye millers passed, and then came back out to say hi to Frank and Rudy. I don't know. But Frank and Rudy passed, and they actually talked to her. 
And it's actually said that Frank liked her because he thinks she's beautiful. But he's also described as um, being quote unquote dim witted, which back then could have meant he was special needs. Gotcha. Which also, now this is speculation, leads me to believe that he also liked her because she was probably nice to him. And it didn't sound like a lot of other people were. So Frank was like, yeah, I talked to her. I talked to her. I said hi. Um, let's go down. Poor Frank. Poor Frank. More, more on Frank later. But he was driving, right? No, he was a passenger. Gotcha. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy was driving. Rudy the grown man. Was giving him a ride. Was giving Frank a ride. Frank was, was the young. Okay, okay, he's so just Frank's a kid. Frank's the young lad. Okay, I gotcha. He's driving him into I town. I confused them. Yeah, yeah. So they're coming down to Borton to go into town. Um. So anyway, yeah. So they pass her a little further up the road from the Raspberry Patch. Um. Frank says, and this is notable, that her hat was in her hand by the time they when they were passing them when they hmm. were talking to them. Which is important because if you recall, when they found her body. Her hat was not with her. Right. It was with her stuff in the cow path that was going down the hill to the pond where she was found. Um, Frank says that she interact- he interacted with her a little bit before they continued into town. Um, Rudy was picking up somebody at the trolley, and Frank wanted to go to the bar. That's where they ended up, and now it's important later. The Huffies are the next group of people that were interviewed as witnesses. They came up to Morton Road just as Frank and Rudy were heading down. Please tell me that you're getting lost. No, no, no. There's Everybody, just there's just many people. There's a lot of people. Which I mean, it's like for as far as timeline goes, it's like good to have this many people that have spotted her. It's it makes it weirder almost because at least no one will say what happened to her, and yet all of these people were in the same area. Interesting. When stuff was happening. Yeah. So. So the Huffies are coming up from town while Rudy and Frank are heading down to Borden Road to town. And um, the Huffies were using a relatively new and young horse. And the horse was giving them, the little, little pony was giving them some trouble. So As they do. As they do. They're naughty. Those young bucks. So Mr. Huffy got out of the carriage to guide the horse up the hill. So they were moving at, like, foot pace, mm-hmm. which should have matched Hazel's pace. That's important because um, they they didn't see Hazel. Let me let me mentally track where they are now because now I'm confusing myself. Okay, they're coming up the hill. They got up. They walked the horse up the road. They get around Peel Pond the same time Hazel should have been right there, based on when she saw Frank and Rudy. Okay. But she wasn't there. Yeah. Take note of that. So that's two two separate groups of people, two couples, that should have seen her minutes after someone else did and then didn't. Yeah, and then two couples that did see her. Yeah, and interacted. Like, they either waved or they talked. Really interesting. So she's... So she's it's almost, it in. almost doesn't make sense, yeah. the timeline. Or she's coming in and out of visibility, which, like, what is she doing in the woods? Yeah, good point. You know? Yeah. Why is she coming... Right. If, assuming that's what happened, mm-hmm. and they're all telling the truth right, about right, the sightings. Right, right, right. She's appearing in one place, hiding in the woods, coming back out, being seen, and then disappearing again. So, But witness testimony is not the most reliable. Yeah, because memory is not the most reliable. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't know, do you remember our first episode? Mm-hmm. We were talking about Mr. Feliciano, whom I hate. Ugh, we don't talk about him. And how everyone was afraid to say stuff. Right. Even if they had seen the girls, they were afraid. Keep that element in mind. I was already kind of, like, thinking, the, thinking that, like, are people... There is... A it's, it's interesting, like... I guess I could do trigger warnings at the beginning of these episodes. There's definitely human trafficking vibes in this case, as well as the Panama case that we covered. Man. This one, um, it's presented... When you, when you look into everything done about this case, it's presented very differently because in the early 1900s, they didn't call it that. They didn't right. call it human trafficking. Right. They didn't really call it anything because no one wanted to talk about it, you know? Um... So, anyway, yeah, weird, weird. So, fast forward about 30 minutes to 8 o'clock. The Richmonds, all these R names, man. The Richmonds travel down to Borton Road, coming from a side road that actually passes the Taylor Farm. Keep that in mind. The Taylor Farm is very close to where all of this hazel siding happened. The Richmonds are coming down from Taylor Farm. They pass through... Um, this area in order to head toward the trolley station in town. They also don't see Hazel anywhere. Which means at 8 p.m. she's missing. Okay. No one's reported her missing, but she's not. There's no more sightings. And this is basically between like 7.15 on. So between 7.15 and 8 p.m. is when all the sightings happen. Right, and by 8 p.m. By 8 p.m. no one has seen her. I gotcha. So at 7.30 when Frank and Rudy passed her and talked to her, that was the last time she was sighted. Gotcha. And that was the last person to talk to her. The last person who claimed to talk to her. Gotcha. Yes, gotcha. Exactly. Gotcha. And it was Frank. Gotcha. Frank was like, okay. yep, we talked. She had her hat in her hand. Gotcha. Do important details. Um, so, okay. So the Richmonds don't see Hazel. The Huffies, because they were traveling at foot, travel pace, within 30 minutes they had rounded the corner um, that passed the turn to go to the Taylor's home. I realize this is difficult to verbally explain, but picture a fork in the road. The Borton goes around, and the Taylor's farm is just up there. Gotcha. Up north of where Field Pond is. Um, so anyway, they round the corner that passes the way to the Taylor's. So they're continuing around this, like, rounded road still into Borton. And they approach Teal Pond, which, if you recall from the last episode, that is where she was found dead. They pass this pond. And they claim that they saw a wagon parked along the side of the road with a young man sitting in it. He looked probably like 25, 24 years old maybe. He was kind of young, but not like Frank Young. Um, He was watching another man, so he was in his carriage, he was watching another man across the pond who was rustling around in the weeds. Hmm. It looked like he was looking for something. Hmm. And Mr. Huffy's like, well, that's that's weird. Yeah. What's going on here? He also didn't, like, identify. Like, it didn't sound like he recognized him right. either. Which could be nothing. Could be something. I don't know how much of a small town feel that area had. It sounds like a small town, but it, maybe it's not. Maybe it's normal to not recognize people. Um, but anyway, if the accounts are true, then these men were at the pond at the same time Hazel would have been there. Yeah. Because that's the only reason the Huffies wouldn't see her. Making them suspects. Huge suspects. Yeah. Huge suspects. Um, no one knows where they came from either, because they would have, 
they should have passed one of those people who testified about seeing or not seeing Hazel. For sure. The Richmonds, the Brian Millers, the Rollmans. Someone should have seen them, and no one saw them get there. So how'd they get to the pond? Well, in this documentary that I've mentioned, but actually never named, it's actually called Who Killed Hazel Drew? It's very straightforward um, title. It, they, they go to the actual scene, and they show you where the roads are. They map out where everybody was when they saw her. They scanned where she was seen. Like, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's a great documentary. It's also long. Um, but they um, show you that behind Peel Pond, there's a little drive called Peel Road that's technically private property. Like, I don't think anyone lives there, but some guy owns that property and does not allow through traffic. Mm-hmm. So the document, documentary people... Documentary? Yeah. Documenturers? Those yeah. people. Those people who did the <laughs> documentary. <laughs> Once again, I promise I'm a writer. Um, these people though they they were like, well, the only logical place for them to have come was Peel Road. Yeah. Because no one ever they would have been seen otherwise. Yeah. Um and like Peel Road. They probably would have known yeah. the people that like own you know what I mean? Would, yeah. So they would be... They would like, be, how would they know about it if they didn't? Yeah. Now I'm also realizing this only affects Mindy and not you guys, that I've been gesturing in the wrong direction when I'm talking about the Alps. Because here's the pond. Peel Road is that way. Okay. So I'm pointing south, guys. Um, the Alps are right there. Okay. So that's highly significant. That the road, they suspect these men came down that carriage in to come to Peel Pond led to the Alps. The Alps were, where Mrs. Clifford lives in that area, the actual Alps are campgrounds. And they're campgrounds with a like a horrible reputation for quote-unquote salacious activity. Now on one hand... Salacious. Salacious. That word is used a lot to describe this campground. You could take that as it's a big party place and people just have fun. Or it is a human trafficking camp. Oh my goodness. Where powerful men go and women are trapped into being taken to. That's horrifying. It is very horrifying. Now, we're not going to dive in. There's not a lot of details published about this place because nothing could really be confirmed because everyone was so protected. So, we're not going to dive into any triggering content in regard to probably what happened at that camp. But we will talk about my how, how that camp plays into my theories. Okay. So, let's scroll down to the autopsy. When she was found, on the 11th, there was no water in her lungs, even though she was found in the pond. Mm. No water in her lungs, um, meaning that she was she dead was dead before from, she got in the yeah, water from blood force trauma to the head. Yeah. Um, allegedly, now only like one guy on the documentary mentioned this, and I haven't seen it anywhere else. Allegedly, she was strangled first, mm. and then beaten, and then put in the pond. So she did something she wasn't supposed to, maybe, or like. Something. I mean, not that, like, anyone would deserve that, but it seems excessive. It is, and either it's because it's very personal, or you don't know what you're doing and you aren't sure if you killed her or not. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. Like, either you're super dumb and you're, like, a like an amateur. Yeah, lover, yeah. Which is not a thing. Um, or it's, she did something, you, you think that she did something to you that justifies excessive. Right. Mentality. It's weird. It's weird. Also, there was no trace of raspberries in her system. 
Oh. So Mrs. So Mo she was not eating raspberries. No, she was most likely pretending to pick raspberries and eat them when she saw people coming down, which would explain why she then the minute weird were, like the minute they had their backs to her, she probably hid somewhere or met with someone in the woods. Yeah. She can't be seen, and that's why the next family didn't see her. And then she came back out because the conversation might have been over. I don't know. I don't know. And then that's why I don't. It's weird. The spotty sightings are weird. Mm-hmm. The autopsy is excessive. At the location in which she was found, being so close to the Alps. Right. The fact that Mrs. Clifford heard women screaming the night before. Now I don't think that was Hazel. No, but, but stuff is happening in that camp. Right. And then there was that girl that drowned as well. Fact. Oh, 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 yes. Yes, thank you for reminding me. So Grace Brown, the reason that her case was significant, and it was actually mentioned in the documentary as well, was because her situation, we can extrapolate what could have been the case with Hazel. Granted, the, Hazel also has the Alps, the campground factor. I, I feel like, I have a theory on that. I don't know if that necessarily contributed to her death. But I feel like it adds something to her story that Grace didn't have. Grace Brown was also a domestic servant who, you know, ran into rich men. Mm-hmm. She began dating a man named Chester Gillette, whose family owns the Gillette. I was going to ask, yes. the, the Razors? The Gillette no, family. no way. So she, they were in love, madly in love, they said, madly in love. And then a rich girl was like, hey, Chester, we should get married. Because we're both rich. And he was like, that's a good idea. Okay, I'm going to dump Grace. That's a good idea. I love money. I love money. Let's keep that going. Let's throw money yeah. at each other and roll around in it. <laughs> that's that's marriage in the night. In the early 1900s. <laughs> um, but he, so he went to break things off with Grace. And she, then she was like, I'm pregnant, though. Oh, shit. So Chester had to switch gears. Chester said. That dog. El-. He said, let's elope. Let's get on a boat right now. Let's go elope and start our family. And so they got on a boat thinking they were, she thought they were going to elope. And then he drowned her. Or I guess, quote unquote, let her drown. He let her drown. That is so, <laughs> so messed up. Keep that in mind. Because by the end of the documentary, they had like briefly mentioned it in the documentary. And I was like, weird thing to just throw in there. That's yeah, thanks. Okay. Death. I was like, all right, poor Grace. What does this have to do with Hazel? Damn. Let's come back to that though. So okay. Hazel. Let me let me scroll into the the uh, media. The way that the media um, portrayed this case was interesting too. And what what is media like? Just in the papers? Newspapers yeah. Nineteen oh eight. They are the, the pigeons, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Get your paper here. The way the birds carried the news. <laughs> Got the news here. So, um, William Taylor, her uncle, if you recall, and Frank, poor little Frank were immediately publicized as suspects immediately poor frank william he he didn't do anything a neighbor had to come tell him hey they've confirmed that hazel is the dead girl in the pond and he was like all right and if you recall her parents had a very similar response her family's just trash but the media was like oh he doesn't taylor doesn't care about his his niece and his house is up the hill from where she was found, he could have seen it happen or mm-hmm. done it and ran home. So, like, so many theories were revolving around this horrible uncle. 
who, in my opinion, was just severely depressed. Yeah. They had, let me scroll to it. There he is. There he is. Okay, William Taylor. He um they he and his wife Minnie lost five out of the six of their kids during their sixteen years of marriage. And they weren't all infancy infant deaths either. They were like some of them that were like middle children like like it's very sad it is it is and he actually was said to have tried to commit suicide multiple times so in my opinion when he says stuff like i don't know why my niece was here when she was sick i didn't see her on the road oh she's dead all right i feel like it was depressed resignation i don't think yeah this guy has seen some stuff yeah clearly yeah because he's got this like the way that he, he reacted previously to her dad being lazy, to me, comes off as if he has to work his butt off and stay alive, you have to work your For butt sure, off and stay after alive. everything that he's been through. Yeah, exactly. Right. You're not going to mooch off this guy who's mm-hmm. suffering. He's not going to put up with that. So I honestly, I, I didn't really view him ever as a suspect. I didn't love how she was treated in either household that she lived in, but I didn't immediately think, oh, her uncle definitely. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, he he could see the pond from his property. Is there a chance he could have seen what happened? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he was also afraid to talk. You know, there's a lot of that, just like with the dan- dumb Feliciano stuff. Right. Like, maybe he did see something. Did he actually do it? I don't I don't really know. I think he's just depressed and the poor guy has a bunch of apathy built up mm-hmm. because he's so depressed. So poor, poor Frank. Frank was... Uh, Probably the quickest, nah, I, I think probably Uncle William was the quickest um, accused suspect, but the second quickest was definitely Frank. So Frank helped um, those boys who found her get her out of the pond. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, so Frank was really easy for the media to latch on to, not just because he was the first one there. He was the last one to talk to her, but also because he was considered uh, dim-witted mm-hmm. or a half-wit is what a lot of people called him, which is super It's pretty sad. mean. It's very mean. And he was also like, a lot of people said he was oblivious to social cues and he was a little odd, mm-hmm. which I have a sister who's autistic. So when I read that description, I was immediately like, hey, yeah, leave him alone, first of all. He's just different from you. Yeah. But I think that's that that what that is what brought a lot of suspicion to him. Right. Because he, he was an easy target. He was an easy target. He kind of fixated on her because he had a crush. She was probably really nice to him. Um, but a lot of like the mama bear compassion came out in me when I when I read more about why he was suspected. He was a little bit obsessed with her, a little bit. But um, you know, she's gorgeous, and if she's also nice, mm-hmm. she's you know. Yeah. Who wouldn't be a little right. bit like, I want her to be my friend. For sure. I want to date her. You know, like, um, but the police and the press thought that as motive, which I don't feel is fair either because probably literally every man in that town noticed Right. Her, you know? Right. Like, why would, why would just... This kid, why yeah. Why would Frank just be targeted for that? Anyway, so after passing Hazel, Rudy took Frank into town and Frank hung out at the bar. So he had been drinking that night. Um... The timeline doesn't fit in my mind, though. 
Because if he needed a carriage ride down to town, how would he get back up to kill Hazel? I just don't, it doesn't really exist. Yeah, that's a great he, point. He couldn't have done that. Um, it is interesting, though, when they were investigating him, the things that did come out about his whereabouts that night, though, which I think um, shed some light on what did happen to her, even though I really, he didn't do it. Um, so anyway, he, he was drinking, he was in town, he was a little bit down on, in the dumps. At about 11 p.m., the night Hazel died, though, Frank was seen desperately trying to get into the pharmacy for medical supplies. Weird. He was closed, okay? So, like, the door was locked. But he was very, like, frantic. He was like, please let me in. I need, I need stuff. I need stuff. You know, and so the the assumption was, but especially by the the people who were investigating in this documentary, that maybe he knew of someone who'd been injured. Mm-hmm. Maybe he saw something that happened to Hazel, or saw the state of her at some point, and thought, "I need to help her." So he hurried to try to get medical supplies, like bandages and stuff. That's a that's a possibility. I I really think it's something like that. Mm rather than him being involved in what happened to like her hitting house. like hitting him later like seeing seeing her I don't know yeah. I, it was it, it was hours after she was probably wounded or dead right because it's 11 p.m. but he, he was one like three hours before but he was he also helped pull her out of the out of the pond yeah the day, well that was days after oh gotcha this was the night she died the night she died. The night she died. She wasn't found dead yet. Okay. So he could have seen, again, how brutal her attack was. Maybe she got hit first. Mm-hmm. Maybe she was staggering around with a head wound. Because head wounds are weird. Mm-hmm. You know, head wounds are weird. You can walk around with your brain basically being dead before your body catches up. Yeah, it's really like, strange. So maybe she had the blunt force trauma happen first. She was walking around, and maybe later in the night, he was on his way back home saw her and was like oh my gosh you're bleeding i have to help you and then ran back into town to get medical supplies but he would report that right well you'd think but he also didn't readily identify her to the police when he found her yeah i don't know so that was weird yeah that's super weird and then for days not gonna lie a little bit suspicious yeah Or, you know, if if he has a crush on her and he sees her nearly every day, he would be like, where is she? Where is she? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's concerning. I don't know. There's There's a lot of things. I can see why, if you already have it in your head that he did it, why you would continue thinking that. For sure. The, the medical supplies thing is, is weird. It's weird. Yeah. The night that it happened. Yeah. The night that it happened. Did, did um, they press him on that at all? Do you have any information about that? Not really. Yeah. It sounded like um, they, they dismissed it as a cold case, basically. Gotcha. So, excuse me, even though they liked certain people for the crime, they didn't really seem to care about resolving it. Now, let's go back to um, the district attorney, actually. Mr. Jarvis, Mr. Jarvis O'Brien, he um, was also pretty well attacked in the media during this case. 
Um, there was a reporter named William N. Clemens who was a self-proclaimed criminologist at the time, and he tore apart the investigation. Like, he tore it to shreds. Interesting. He eventually, which leads us into our next suspect, he came upon, I feel like it's sad when reporters are becoming more investigative than the actual investigators. For sure. He did but digging, it's true. It's true. He did digging himself, and he came upon that trunk, mm, his trunk, mm-hmm. that contained letters from an unidentified admirer signed C.E.S. Mm. So William Clemens was like, what up, D.A. O'Brien? Why hey, did you, you guys even this? check this? Did you even, Do you, did did you even care? Did you, yeah, did you just look at the drunk, the depressed uncle and, and this, this poor child who had a crush on her and thought, that's, that's probably good. This is as deep as we're going to dive. This is it. He, yeah, he, he Great looked. police work, fellas. Yeah, well, eventually, district, we'll go into the letters in a second, but uh, Jarvis O'Brien... He, he didn't look into anything that was brought to him, too. So mm. not only did he not pry further on his own, but when stuff was brought to him, he was like, mm, I don't really feel like that's relevant. Mm, I, don't, I don't know. And then he told the coroner, you know what? I'm going to, I think it was, she drowned. She drowned. Stop Even though there was, feeling. yeah, seriously, Stop though. Like, <laughs> seriously. Like, mm, she drowned. I think you should rule it accidental or suicide. And the coroner's like, huh? Okay. There's no water in her lungs. What are you, I don't, I don't understand. And there was, apparently, there was a witness, a critical witness that was going to testify in the inquiry. Um, but the witness was never named, and they never made an appearance. They never showed up. Okay. Okay. Where was, what are you doing? And then this, um, in, it, it's interesting when I looked at old, uh, newspaper articles, there was a headline that was talking about Hazel's murder, and they the headline said, Another Gillette Atrocity. Oh. So they tied her directly to Grace Brown. Okay. And we're like, hey, remember her two years ago who Chester Gillette murdered? Yeah, this is probably another one of those, but guess who's not going to look into it again because they loved attacking Jarvis O'Brien. Good for them, I say. Good for them. Um, yeesh. So, the investigation was basically over in, like, two weeks. No one wow, great job, everyone. Two weeks, no one at the Alps camp would even talk to. That's insane. No one. That doesn't Mrs. make any Clifford, sense. Mrs. Clifford, who had that whole, like, on the night before, she heard women screaming up there and, and didn't Nobody care. talked to her. I don't feel like that's relevant. Um, thank you for bringing that to my attention, but I don't think that's relevant. God. Okay, O'Brien. Okay. Let's dive into CES. Oh, this, yeah, yeah, this yeah. This goes into, the documentary was really interesting because they, while it's still technically an unsolved case, it, they resolved the documentary with a very solid theory based on someone who actually reached out to them because they were related to the person they think did it. Hmm. Which is super interesting. So, yeah. uh, Mr. Clemens, who came upon this case with these love letters in them, uh, Talked a lot about it when, when, when he, you know, continued to report on the case. There were six letters, all of them postmarked from New York City and Boston. Maybe New York you, City. Do you remember where she vacationed all the time? Oh, yeah, New York City and Boston. And Providence, but, you know, I guess no one wow. knows Providence. But, yeah. Okay. Interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, friends and family claimed not to know who CES was, which actually 
talking about super significant because her aunt, Mindy Taylor, just didn't want them to talk about anything. Yeah, that's so also just very, very weird and suspicious. Yeah. Oh, you know, I totally skipped that. Guys, we'll get to that because we can't say it in a second. Um, I'll do a little aside since I just totally skipped over my theory about the camp. Um, I think, I think, actually, yeah, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it now. Let's put a pin in those love letters for a second. Okay. Okay? Because that, that leads to my resolution. The campsite and Miss Minnie Taylor. I, my theory, because this campsite is down the road from the Taylor house, I think Minnie Taylor works there. Mm. I think she got her niece involved there. There were accounts of Hazel coming into town. Need the first time casually buying something she said was for her sick aunt. And then the second time she was panicked and needed a phone to call help. And she had the person who like reported the sighting was like she came from the campsite both mm-hmm. times. And then that car thing, remember in the in part one when I mentioned that the hotel owner, actually the hotel owner is the one who mentioned seeing Hazel come yeah. from the campsite. He mentioned also seeing that, that car zip up to the yes, campsite and yes. zip back down without yeah. that second woman. Yes. I really think Minnie Taylor was basically a pimp. <gasps> I think she was pimping out her niece. Oh, shit. Yeah. And I think that is why, because of all of the, the powerful men that she was throwing her niece at, I, I feel that is why she didn't want anyone talking. Well, yeah, the blow her cover. Yeah. Again, she could also be a victim. But I'm really not leaning that way. I'm yeah, really I mean, it is very strange that, you know, if it's your niece, like, you would want everybody to figure out what's where she is. And you think. I mean, there's a fear thing, like, she could be also just afraid of whoever she's working for. But I don't know. If it were me, I realize that the situation could be very different. Like, she could have been highly threatened to involve her niece. But if it were me and I were involved in that campsite, I wouldn't want my niece near that campsite. For sure. I would want to completely... Protect her. Yeah. Yeah. But she didn't. She drove in, around car... They were regularly seen with men together, the, her and her niece. Interesting. Yeah. Sketchy. So I don't trust anything Minnie says. Yeah. I don't... I get very bad feelings about her. I think she... Now, now the death, I don't know if she's involved. I think everything horrible that happened up to that point is probably her fault. But let's mm. go to the love letters, and then I will tell you my theory of her actual death because i think it's a good one i think this documentary nailed it okay by the end my gut was saying yeah this sounds right this Mm -hmm. feels right this is this is what happened okay so those letters sorry to jump all over the place guys this is just who i am as a human being um six letters okay so one of the letters um all of them were very passionate some of them were a little obsessive some of them were a little controlling one of them said and i quote your merry smile and twinkling eyes torture me. Oh. Your face haunts me. I don't. Oh. <laughs> okay. Why can't I be contented again? You have stolen my liberty. Please don't forget a, a promise to write. When I reach Albany again, I will need to go to the tavern. I must see you soon, or I'll die of starvation. Oh my God, this guy. Yeah, I know. There, no, I mean he he. This guy did it. <laughs> this guy did it. This guy did it for sure. Did. I've I've known types. I've met this guy before, <laughs> and he is unwell in the mind. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of letters that were like that. They were very. Yeah, 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 
Yeah. Well, um, I mean, he likes to hear himself talk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very like. Was he a musician? Uh, the the theory, the reigning theory, is that he was a dentist. Okay. <laughs> okay. Not even as fancy as this. <laughs> <laughs> that would attract those. Um, but she it, she said to have once traveled to a tavern in Albany to meet him, though. So like, as these letters were found, parts of her story were starting to line up with them. So they're like, oh, I, I think we've figured out. Kind of, we've connected a little bit who this guy is. One of the letters, which is interesting, features an apology for getting rough with her. Oh. Now, this doesn't sound like passionate rough. That no, sounds like I, I knocked you around yeah. and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry I did that. He mentions bruises on her arm. Mm. Um, it's this guy. Hello. Hello. It's him. And this is, this is the information. Jarvis. Mr. Clemens took it to Jarvis and Jarvis is like, I don't feel like this is one of Oh my God, this yeah. guy. This he's the oh, worst. Yeah, he's working for somebody. Um, so on like three to four Sundays, um, the summer of 1908 leading up to her death, Hazel was seen waiting alone for someone at Teal Pond. And one of the theories... Bet you it was CES. I bet you it was. One of the theories is that she planned to elope, very much like Grace Brown. Like, someone had convinced her that they were going to elope and run away together. Um, but they're never going to confirm for sure the identity because Mindy Taylor didn't let anybody... I have a theory. Yeah? <laughs> I do. <laughs> no, I do. I do. Okay. I bet I bet they met up. You know, there was something to met like meeting up and maybe she wasn't into it anymore and this guy clearly would not be able to handle rejection well so imagine trying to reject this guy guy, he would he'd crush your skull in yeah well he roughed her up yeah he's done it before it doesn't sound like it's a one-time thing either no it really is so the interesting part of this documentary that really was the perfect way to end it um a gentleman reached out to these documentary makers and said, I, my grandpa probably killed Hazel Jewett. So they interviewed him. And this guy, his name is Jack Fallon. Jack is, he, when he talked, he's, he gives me mafia vibes. Oh. He's so fun. <laughs> like, like, amusing mafia vibes. We stand the mafia. I love it. <laughs> I, was I was like, keep talking. The Sopranos is my favorite show. He had the New England accent. He had uh, he had the whole vibe. It was great. So he he was talking about, and his story lined up with one of the I mentioned earlier in the in part one that Carrie was the only friend who talked, and then I corrected myself. There was a second friend who actually did talk. She didn't name names. Her name was Nina, Nina Jones, and she claims that Hazel was seeing a dentist who proposed to her. And that dentist's name was Harry Fallon. Okay. Um, he came from a very prominent family in the area. They were very wealthy. And then he was a dentist, so he was making good money. Sure. Um, so his grandson, Jack, when he, like, was, when he approached and the documentary makers and he was being interviewed, he basically, the reason he gives you mafia vibes he started off with, we all got skeletons in our closet. I've done stuff. I, <laughs> I like him. I was like, Jack, have you I mean, we've, we've all killed someone and left him, you, you know, in a pond. Well, I want to hear your story, Jack. <laughs> Jack, wait a second. Jack Fallon. But he, um, Hazel, Harry and Hazel, he said they were very secretive. And um, and Mina confirmed to us that, that she didn't really 
Haley didn't talk about him a lot because she mm. liked his identity. Mm. And she really cared about him. So she wasn't going to go blabbing about who she's seen. Um, but, like, a lot of rich playboys at the time, just like Mr. Chester Gillette, wants a pr- an opportunity to marry well presents itself. For sure. You're going to cut off that, that poor hoe over you there. You got to keep up appearances. You got to. Yeah. You got to. So he, um, Jack's theory is that Harry was um, connected with a young lady whose last name, I don't know her first name, her last name is Morrison. It is Jack's eventual grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack thinks that Harry's future father-in-law put a hit out on Hazel. Whoa. Because he wanted the families to get together. Now, John So, Morrison, like, perhaps Harry was actually connected. Yeah. I, Jack, when he described his great-grandpa, um, he sounded kind of scary. Like, he was a very powerful businessman in that area. He was politically connected. He also sounded very mafia. Jack made it sound like if he wanted something, he got it. He found a way to get it. Like, it didn't matter what Yeah, it sounded like he had those kinds of connections. Yes. And so Jack presented it as, well, my grandma's dad really wanted them to get married because they were two powerful families. Mm. And he viewed Hazel as an obstacle mm. for that happening. Now, so that means whether or not Harry wanted her to be killed, I don't think mattered. He, he could have been pretty lukewarm about it. He could have been like, well, I guess I can marry your daughter, but I got a girlfriend. I mean, it's a secret one because she's poor. But like, <laughs> Can't let anyone know. <laughs> yeah, but like, what are you going to do? I don't know. And John's like, I could kill her. You want me to kill her for you? Me to kill her for you? So, um, so yeah, that's Jack's theory is that John Morrison got a hit, which explains the fact that those two guys who had never been seen before carried it out. For, for sure. Yep. It doesn't explain why. That's an, a really interesting theory. Yeah, and by the end of the documentary, I was like, I'm here. I thought that it was gonna be have to do with the campsite. With the rich men that she was meeting at the campsite, mm-hmm. the abuse that was happening up there, maybe she wanted out. See, that was where my mind was going this whole time. I was like, she wanted out of that camp. She wanted, like, she's she sounds pretty strong-willed. If she fell in love with the right guy, she would fight to get out of her current situation and go live a, a sure. luxurious life, right? But then Jack came in and was like, no, nah, my, great, my great-grandpa put a hit out on her because she was in love with a dentist. And I was like, well, dang, Jack, now I believe you. Okay, wow. So... Yeah, that's the conclusion. It's still, it's still unsolved. It's a lot. It's a lot. Poor Hazel. I know. This is what happens when you get wrapped up with rich men. Either you've also become rich and happy, and or you get murdered. It's just there's no in between. Careful, ladies. Seriously, rest in peace, Hazel. Yeah. You didn't deserve it. It's sad. I kind of like, even though like my gut is like, yeah, Jack's probably right. That's probably what happened. I, it still feels unresolved because nothing's actually Well, yeah, and, and, you know, it's sad because you can't actually, like, you know, put it to rest, mm-hmm. like, fully because you don't know. No. And and a lot of the players are not around anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So, exactly. like, how can you ever truly know? You can't. Which is – so that area, actually, just to tie it back into Twin Peaks because this is what got me on this case in the first place. Um, the One of the co-creators, Mark Frost, lived in that area as a kid and his grandma always told him don't go to that pond after dark because hazel her ghost 
ponds that pond waiting. Now she says, the grandma says, she's waiting to identify, to find out who her killer is. Mm. But me, by the end of reading this case, I'm like, no, she's probably waiting for that guy she thought she was going to elope with before she got killed. Much Sad. more haunting story. Yeah. yeah. Oh, ghost hunters go to that lake all the time now, too. Yeah. To try to talk to her. Is it like an active spot? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. People go there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's illegal. Yeah. It's sad. Do you want to pep us up with a treat? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay, let's go. This one is like um, a little bit lazy. <laughs> and I'll tell you and I'll, and I'll tell you why. Um, it's because I got lunch today from Panera. <laughs> oh, yes. So we have brownies from Panera. And I've never had this before. And I like brownies. So. Yeah, I love brownies. Um, and this is like, I feel like there are Paneras everywhere. So this is something that y'all can try. Ooh, it looks like there's some powdered sugar. I don't know if there's like chocolate chunks in there. Looks pretty good. I do like I do like the powdered sugar. I like that it's like a little triangle. Yeah, it's cute. Are you ready? No, she's taking I'm pictures. Taking picture so I can post on Instagram so you guys can see what we're eating. Keep it connected to our story here. <laughs> okay. Alright, I'm ready. Okay, ready? Ready. Okay, Okay, so, what's your take? Well, so, when I think of brownies, I think of my grandma's brownies. Are they softer than those? So soft. Yeah, I think that's my problem. So, so moist. Mm -hmm. And they're, these, they're good. They're yeah. good. They're chocolatey. I like the, the bit of powdered sugar, but they're a little dry for me. Sorry, Panera. I think you'll be all right. You're like a... They're a chain. Yeah, you guys will be fine. They'll survive this mediocre review. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, um, that like 20 people will listen to. <laughs> thank you, dozens of listeners. Thank you, the dozens of listeners that we have. <laughs> You're the real VIP. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I like softer brownies. Me too. What, do you, what would you give it? I'm gonna give it brownies in my day. I'm gonna give it um I'm gonna give it uh two and a half skulls. Oh nice. And a little raccoon figurine because I'm thinking about my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> is that is the raccoon figurine greater or less than a skull? What's our ranking system here? Um, that's just more for me and my own pleasure. Oh, sure. Okay. I think, you know what? I changed my answer. Let's just agree with you. Two and a half. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Panera. I was being generous with the three, but two and a half, actually. Yeah, we don't have to. We don't have to be generous. No, we don't. Mm -mm. Not with the chain. No. Not with no, you guys have money. You're yeah, fine. I know, I'm still eating it. Yeah, I'm like, it's kind of cardboardy, but, but it's fine. Yeah, I like that. Keep doing it. 
You know, uh, my my sister in law gave me that advice. Thank you, sister in law. Yeah, thank if you're you listening, know. Sarah, thank you, and I love you. Thank you. You made a difference today. And also, like I think after, especially like after a sad case. Yeah, it's a little. It's like a. It's a. It makes sense. If you're listening to this on your commute too, like you don't want to go into this to work depressed. Yeah. Yeah, let's, who knows what it'll be next time. Who knows? Well, I hope you guys, first of all, were able to follow this story. Yeah, we were a little bit all over the place, as usual. This is just how we usually do. Mm -hmm. It was, I was really, I became very obsessed with this case during the research for it. So hopefully you were as invested as I was in poor Hazel, even though we don't actually have answers. Um. Yeah, we wanted to tell her story anyway. You yeah. actually, fun fact, you can't really find it anywhere. You know, in entirety online. I had to pay 20 bucks for this documentary of these people who actually went on site, walked you through where she walked, stuff like that. Like, they made it real. They included details you can't find anywhere else. It was not like the Panama case where Reddit is all over it. Right. It's very, like, it, it's surprisingly under the radar for something that sparked a, a cult classic show like Twin Peaks. Yeah. Well, tune in next time. Until <laughs> next time. Hope you had fun cookies and criming with us. Cookies and criming. <laughs> that was really funny last time. I know. <laughs> I re-listened and I was like, I'm so dumb and also very tired. It's okay. I'm awake this time though. So no, I am no, too. Correct. Yeah. That's correct. Cookies and criming all day long. We'll see you guys next time. All right. That's all, folks. Bye.